0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Monday, October 20th, 2014 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Indonesia's new president sworn in, Joko Widodo. I kind of like Indonesia. It's confounding to our expectations, right? Like Muslim countries are oppressive. Not Indonesia. Or Muslim countries are undemocratic. Not Indonesia. There are leaders don't like 80s death metal. Not Indonesia. That's right. Joko Widodo counts as his favorite band, Megadeth, Close Second Metallica, Little Lamb of God, Little Napalm Death. So on the one hand, you could maybe wonder why it's easier to wear a Lamb of God or Napalm Death t-shirt in Indonesia than in the United States. I mean, it's a more conservative country. Shouldn't they object to a leader wearing a napalm death t-shirt? And when you think about it, from 65 to 66, there were all these purges under Sukarno. So there really was mega death in Indonesia. But I think it just comes down to Christians. I think in America, these bands with their quasi-devilish imagery. And anyway, death metal actually doesn't traffic in so much anti-Christian imagery, if you want to call it that, but you're not as serious. Every Megadeth album has, you know, the Grim Reaper doing something. I just don't think that stuff is so scary to Muslims or maybe to Indonesians. It's just like, hey, American rock band, that's what they all do. But anyway, if you want a more approachable musical treat from another country, but not overseas, i.e. Canada, I recommend Bryan Adams. Run to You was released 30 years ago today. It was the first Brian Adams song to go to number 1 on the rock charts. And in honor of that, I have assembled a collection of Brian Adams videos where he's playing guitars in forests, tundras, Monument Valley. Check that out. On the show today, the new serialized podcast from the producers of This American Life, In the spiel, screwy Scottish science, three words that don't always go together. But first, we want to recommend the new Slate podcast, Amicus. In fact, we want to recommend it so much that I'm going to see today's first interview to Amicus host and friend of the Gist, Dahlia Lithwick. The topic is grooming, specifically short beards. Specifically, can prisoners, specifically a Muslim prisoner, have a short beard? As far as searching a beard is concerned, why can't the prison just give the uh, inmate a comb? You could develop whatever kind of comb you want and say, comb your beard. And if there's anything in there, if there's a SIM card in there or a a revolver or anything else you think (laughs) can be hidden in a half-inch beard, a tiny revolver, it'll fall out. Here now with an interview of Professor Douglas Laycock of the University of Virginia, who represented Holt, the Muslim prisoner, and Holt v. Hobbs at the Supreme Court, is Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia is the host of this fabulous new slate podcast called Amicus. Laycock, by the way, was played by a dog on John Oliver's HBO show this weekend, if you saw that. But here is Dahlia's interview with Doug Laycock, the human, the lawyer, not the dog. He's a beard defender. Take it away, Dahlia Lithwick.
2: One of the things that I thought was so interesting sitting through oral argument was you actually did get to hear detail, granular detail about how prisons are run. And, you know, as somebody who often says, in my case, that the court seems kind of... Far far away from the way the rest of us experience life, it was interesting to hear that there are concerns there are concerns about SIM cards being slipped into beards. there are concern. There was a long colloquy uh, with the Deputy Attorney General from Arkansas who was saying that there's a real concern that people will shave their beards and alter their identities and then sneak into another barracks and hurt someone who hates them. But at least I thought it was interesting that the court was engaging deeply with what seemed to be legitimate penological interests.
0: Well, I mean, they, they were a legitimate interests. but the question is how serious they are. So they made a big deal about the SIM card. That's the part of the cell phone that really makes it work. Uh, two things to note about that. For the SIM card, the trial judge measured it. It's 13 32 of an inch by three-eighths, he said. That's a tenth of an inch shorter than the half-inch beard, and it's square, right? So, no one ever explained how you could possibly make that stay put in your beard and no corner of it would show at any point, and that, that is uh, really impossible to imagine. And the other thing is, they testified that in 2011 they confiscated 1,000 cell phones in the prison system, Those all came in without beards, so obviously there are plenty of good hiding places, Um, and I don't think that number changes if you you allow half-inch beards because all those other hiding places are much better than the half-inch beard would be.
2: Now, one of the things I thought was most interesting, and I thought you dealt with it uh, admirably, but I think you were getting challenged for the reasonableness of your posture uh, throughout this oral argument. And so I want to play for you uh, Chief Justice John Roberts challenging you on making your own case too easy.
3: I mean, one of the difficult uh, issues in a case like this is where to draw the line. And you just say, well, we want to draw the line at half-inch because that lets us win. And the next day, someone's going to be here with one inch, and maybe it'll be you. And then, you know, two inches. It seems to me you can't avoid the legal difficulty just by saying all we want is half an inch.
0: Well, most of the cases seek a full beard or full hair, and sooner or later you will have to decide one of those cases. Uh, But this case... He made a pro se decision to limit his request. The Court expressly limited the question presented. So this case is only about — Well, but we have to
3: decide this case pursuant to a generally applicable legal principle. And that legal principle is one, it seems to me, that demands some sort of a limit. And if you're unwilling to articulate a a limit uh, uh, to the principle itself, it becomes a little bit difficult to apply it say, well, we don't know what the limit is, uh, but because you're only asking a half inch, we'll apply it a — um, the, theoretical legal structure and, and say you fall within it?
0: Well, I think, you know, the limit has to be determined on a record in a case that is seeking a, a longer beard. I think, you know, what the, the larger issue than just half an inch that this case presents is how do you administer the legislative history suggests deference to prison officials in the context of a compelling interest standard.
2: So I think the question I want to ask you is you you pushed back on his saying, you know, I need you to tell me our two-inch beard. Where Where is this going to end? Is this going to end in ZZ Top length beards? You know, are we going to Duck Dynasty beards? And you really refused to say the burden is on me to tell you how long beards are, at which point the state can intervene. Uh, did you feel that that he was pressing you to, to do something that you didn't feel you needed to do to prevail?
0: Well. Didn't didn't think I needed to or that I could. So I mean the other way to view the half inch is, and and I didn't pick a half inch, right? The prisoner picked a half inch, and then the court when it granted review explicitly limited the case to a half inch. Uh so I'm just arguing the case that was handed to me. But he said it makes it too easy but it wasn't too easy for the Eighth Circuit, right? They wouldn't even protect half an inch. They essentially made the statute a nullity. Um, I wasn't going to tell him where to draw the line because um, it may be that you don't have to draw the line. You know, if, if 40 jurisdictions permit beards without a length limit, they must not be too dangerous, and I wasn't going to give away those cases for some other lawyer coming up next. You know, the court's got to look at the evidence on uh, full beards, and if full beards are okay, then they don't have to worry about drawing a line in inches.
2: So, so the other place where there was a really interesting back and forth was between you and Justice Scalia, who felt that your client couldn't really be adhering to his religion if he was willing to settle for a half-inch beard. So let's listen to Justice Scalia talking to you about that. Well, well, Mr. Laycock, <clears throat> the problem
3: I have with, with your client's uh, claim of, of, of religious uh, requirement is the religious requirement is that he grow a full beard, isn't it? Now, l- let's assume I'm in a religion that uh, requires polygamy. Um, I mean, could could I say to the prison, well, oh, you know, okay, uh, I won't have three wives, just let me have two wives. I mean, you're still violating your religion, it seems to me, if he allows his, his beard to be clipped to one, one, one inch, isn't he?
0: Well, the, the religious teaching is a full beard. He testified uh, that religiously half an inch is better than nothing, and he explained that in terms of Hadith that, that he referenced. He's in a very difficult situation. I don't think he should be penalized for being reasonable here. He offered an extremely conservative compromise to the president. Well,
3: religious beliefs aren't reasonable. I mean, religious beliefs are categorical, you know. uh, God tells you uh, it's not a matter of being
0: reasonable, God be reasonable. Uh, He's (laughs) supposed to have a full beard. He's... He's supposed to have a full beard, but a partial beard is better than none. And that's not just in secular terms. That's also in religious terms, which he explained on the record.
2: So I I wondered if you could talk about, was that a sweaty moment for you where you felt like you were being asked to be unreasonable in order to defend a religious principle?
0: No. I mean, that may be the way Justice Scalia experiences his religion, but, you know, millions of Americans may understand the religion to be categorical, but they practice it only partially, right? They know they're supposed to go to mass every week, but they really go once a month or three times a year. Um, this prisoner was in a very difficult situation. You have hardly any rights in prison. You're totally regimented. They don't take you seriously. And when he went to court, he was facing a court who didn't take him all that seriously, and he didn't have a lawyer, and he didn't have any ac- access to expert witnesses and so forth. He found a case a case from California that uh, several years ago permitted half-inch beards. And he kind of tied himself to that. So his religious belief is I ought to leave the beard entirely uncut. He also testified, uh, in effect, you get partial credit. It's better to try— than not to try at all. A half an inch beard is religiously better than nothing, and he explained that in terms of uh, underlying Islamic sources. And so, you know, I think his willingness to compromise shouldn't be held against him. This was entirely reasonable, and it's still a religious practice, uh, even if he's doing it only partially.
2: Douglas Slaycock teaches law at the University of Virginia Law School, right here in Charlottesville, Virginia. He specializes in religious liberty cases. Thank you for joining us.
0: You're very welcome.
1: Serial is the first true spin-off of This American Life. If you're not listening already, it's gripping. The true story of a murder that took place in 1999. The victim was a high school girl named Haman Lee. The convicted, still in jail, is Adnan Syed, her high school boyfriend. Host Sarah Koenig, along with her co-executive producer Julie Snyder, is investigating every aspect of this case and parceling it out to us, the audience, over the course of a season. A lot seems problematic in Adnan as a suspect, but as Serial has showed in its four episodes thus far, things that seem confusing sometimes have specific explanations, and things that seem simple often are vexing. That said, as I listen to Serial, I have this thought in my head. Don't let this wind up being a contemplation on the nature of truth. Don't let this wind up being a contemplation on the nature of truth. Because for all the interesting, chin-scratching, epistemological questions raised, at its core, Serial is a it. And host Sarah Koenig promises that when it concludes, we, the audience, will be presented with something resembling a conclusion. Hello, Sarah. Hello. So we're on episode four. How many are you going to do? I We're still plotting that out. Around a dozen could mm-hmm. go a little longer. And where are you now? How many do you have yet in the can?
4: <laughs> We're making major changes to episode five right now. Okay. Yeah, that's how seat of the pants this is at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. Well, we've been getting all these requests of like, why are you, why can't we binge? Like, just release the whole thing. What's your problem? And I'm like, oh, my God, if you guys only knew how, like, I am four days behind you right now.
1: We are not orange is the new black here. We are not. No. Is all the reporting done? No. Wow.
4: It's mostly done, but there are definitely some things that are really just loose ends kinds of things. And then there are other things that are kind of like fairly medium to big size questions that we're still hoping
1: we will be able to get to the bottom of. Do you know how it's going to end? I mean, can you tell me with 80 percent? Look, let's say I'm going to get hit by a bus and I uh, or I have a day to live. And I'm like, look, I definitely won't tell anyone. Just kind of tell me how it ends. Would you be able to kind of tell me how it ends?
4: Kinda tell you, I think I could tell you with sixty four per sixty six percent certainty how it's gonna end, uh seventy
1: yeah, meaning sixty like seventy percent certainty how it's gonna end, how the series is gonna end, maybe not put a button on this case in terms of did it didn't do it free, um
4: yeah, I mean, I might even back up from seventy to like back to sixty six I mean we um I mean yeah i don't and i don't mean to be like coy about this at all it's just I like, I know we, you're not are, we are like in the thick of certain things and like depending on which way they go it's really going to affect how we end it. Yeah, you no. Know, like I, where
1: we go. I know you're not being coy. I mean, you've yeah, yeah, yeah. You got okay. four days left for episode five. <laughs> That's not being coy. Yeah, that, that means you have many, you have many choices to make. You have many storytelling choices to make. But of the choices you have to make, how many of them are dependent on just big facts that you have not nailed down yet?
4: It's it's like it's like that game of like pick an ending. Do you know what I mean? Like if if you go mm-hmm. left here, you know, or like, like if Joe gets in the car, then what happens? If Joe doesn't get in the car, then what happens? You know, and it's like so so we're sort of building it in that way where it's like, well, if we find out this then we're going to go here and we've got that plotted out. But if what if we find out this other thing? Well, then we're going to c- go that way and plot it and plot it that way. So do you know what I mean? Like we, we know the arc. It's just like we don't know which direction the arc turns exactly.
1: So you were a reporter at The Sun for a couple of mm-hmm. years and you've been a radio journalist for a while. But how much of this genre, maybe it's called true crime, maybe it's called uh, exonerating or the prisons, how much of this kind of thing have you done?
4: Not a ton you know before the sun, I was a reporter at the concord Monitor in in New Hampshire, and I covered crime at both those newspapers. But I certainly don't consider myself you know, a crime reporter. I would never have, if anything, I was a political reporter so so, in a way, it's new. I mean, I did a story last year for this American life that. It was called Doctor Gilmer and Mister Hyde, and it was about this doctor who, um, this very beloved doctor in in North Carolina in the Asheville area, who sort of like just up and killed his father one day, and sort of brutalized his body and stuff like that. And the the doctor who would come in to take his place, who happened to have the same name as the as the murderer, I've kind of got in touch with him. And, and so we kind of reported this story almost together because he was just like, I don't understand. I don't understand how this could have happened. I don't understand how this could have happened. And so like we went back and looked and it turned out like we found out something new about it, which is like, the, the, this is a spoiler here, but the guy had Huntington's disease and nobody knew it. And so he had started to act really sort of erratically. Anyway, all this is to say that feels like the closest thing I've done to this, where it's just like, take a case that's done and just like just try to figure out like, well, wait, what went on here? What what don't we know? Because it feels like there's something we don't know.
1: Before you did this, did you have any opinions about how guilty people should act? Because that's a question that's come up as I listen.
4: Yeah. I don't think that I had any hard and fast uh thoughts about that but I think like everyone thinks that they can sort of tell when somebody's lying. Yeah. To a certain degree. You know what I mean? Like, we all think like, well, I'm a pretty good judge, of, you know, especially maybe not especially, but I think as a reporter, like we talk to so many people, you know, and and the course of our jobs, like, I think about that sometimes, like, my husband's a professor. And it's just like the, the circle that he talks to is so much different than like, you know, I'm talking to people all over the country from all different walks of life, like, and he just doesn't have that. So I just feel like, in some ways, I do feel like I have a pretty broad sense of, you know people and and i feel like i'm a pretty good judge of character right and i think so you know people think they can tell and i have interviewed other criminals and i've interviewed other murderers i've i've interviewed people in prison before so you know i i think i had a baseline it has definitely been tested i have to say has definitely been tested <laughs> Yeah,
1: Right. I had these thoughts, not just uh, listening to Serial, but this is pretty much the underpinning of the popularity of Nancy Grace. And it comes up in the movie and the book Gone Girl. Like he's not acting how a murderer would act or he's not acting how an innocent person would act. But I wonder if any of that is true at all. What our assumptions are of how a guilty person, not even the content of it, but as I listen to you talk to Adnan, I'm saying this to myself over and over. Don't you say it at one point? Like, why is he so blasé about this thing that could get him off the hook? Why doesn't he care about this timeline?
4: Whenever we're talking... There's the conversation we're having, and then there's like three other conversations silently happening, right? Which is me saying, is he lying? Is he lying? Is he lying? Is he telling the truth? Is he what Does he think that I think that he's – and he's doing – I think he's probably doing the same thing Mm -hmm. of saying, does she believe me? Does she believe me? Does she think I'm lying? Does she think that I think that she thinks I'm lying? You know what I mean? I think that there's – yes, I think that's happening all the time, and there's no way around it.
1: Do you know if any of the uh people who've been in your story have heard any of the podcasts yet?
4: Yes, I do know that they are hearing them.
1: Is there any um notable reaction from them?
4: Um yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Will might, yes. might might their reaction affect the last podcasts in the series? No. Okay. No. Sarah Koenig is the host, the co-creator, and co-executive producer, along with Julie Snyder, of the podcast Serial. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. And now the spiel. Scottish science soups on, this time in quiz form. Okay, first question what first emerged in an ancient Scottish lake? According to BBC Scotland, what first emerged in an ancient Scottish lake? A. Sex. Sex first emerged. B. Violence. Violence first emerged in an ancient Scottish lake. Or C. Coal. Sex, violence, or coal? The answer is, it's sex. What? What? Scientists believe they have discovered the origin of copulation, an international team of researchers that a fish called Microbrachius dickus, sorry, that's the name of the fish, is the first known animal to stop reproducing by spawning and instead mate by having sex. Now they quote a professor, an Australian professor, John Long, who says, "...they couldn't have done it in a missionary position." The very first act of copulation was done sideways, square dance style. Okay, I'm going to say that those cultural associations really didn't have a lot of impact on the fish, on micro, dickus. They had little arms and they were useful to link the male and the female together. So the male got his large L-shaped sexual organ in position to dock with the female's genital plates, which are very rough, like cheese graters. I know, slow down, you're making me hot. What you gonna do with all that great, all that great in the genital plate, right? A message for all you haters. You're just lusting after my cheese graters. Okay, now it turns out that microbrochia's dicky fossils are common, but nobody noticed the sexual organs until now, now, how does that make the male microbrachias dicky feel, right? It can't make them feel good. And let's think about their first ever mating. They were two young kids, they were in love. They were looking to have sex for the first time. You know, it was pretty easy for them to fall into it, right? There were no virginity rings back then, no purity pledges. They couldn't blame it on media messages or peer pressure. They're like, peer pressure? We invented sex. We invented it. And the first time, I'm sure he turned to her and asked, was that good for you? And she was like, I have no context, nor does anything of our species or any other. And of course, like, you know if you're doing an interview with the first microbrachius dicky is like... Let me tell you, females of my species tell me I do things to them that they didn't think were possible. And then the camera will cut to the female microbrachius dickie who rolls her eyes. This, by the way, this phenomenon is probably why the flounder's eyes migrate. Just a lot of eye rolling about male flounders bragging about their prowess. Okay, Scottish science quiz number two. Scottish backpacker Daniela Liverani thought she was getting nosebleeds. She was in Vietnam. She couldn't shake these nosebleeds. Maybe they were due to a motorbike crash, gets back to Scotland, finds out what they really are, what the real cause of these nosebleeds, or were they nosebleeds, or were they, A, a nose leech, B, a piece of ban cot, which is a variation of Vietnamese pancake, was lodged up in her nose, or it wasn't blood at all that was coming out, it was Nam Ho Choi, a banana flower. Here with the answer, Daniela Liverani. Yeah, it turned out it was a leech that I had in my face that had been there for about four weeks or so. Using my nostrils a little nest to call his own as you can hear there, Daniela seems in pretty good cheer. She's getting famous now, and there are all these pictures taken of her, and she's smiling. She's sometimes holding a picture of the leech, or just looking pretty happy with her nose leech fame. And at first I was thinking, I wonder if a U.S. woman would be so glib about this. Maybe there's something in the Scottish character to think that this experience with the nose leech was a bit of a larf. But then I realized, no. She is happy because she's a woman who once had a leech up her nose, and now no longer has a leech up her nose you know we all in a way a very specific literal way have no leeches up our nose, except you, Cynthia Randall of Provo, Utah, just listener. You actually have a leech up your nose, we meant to tell you. Anyway, the rest of us have no leeches up our nose, but since we never really had a leech up our nose at any point, we don't walk around, we don't realize that each day is a gift, a leech in your noseless gift. So normally it might take a brush with death or a serious disease to get this kind of perspective and clarity. Nose leech is a pretty good, easy, efficient way, not life threatening, yet so disgusting that everyone will have instant sympathy for you. Nietzsche said, What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Now, I've seen some of the early drafts of that statement. What doesn't kill us maims us. What doesn't kill us leaves us infertile. What doesn't kill us sometimes shortens our lifespan. What doesn't kill us leaves us susceptible for the next thing that can kill us. All of those went out the window. He's stuck with the very simple, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. But it's not true. But it is true with a leech up the nose. Didn't kill her. She's really better off for it. She's not a mom now. But when she becomes a mom, imagine her dealing with her kids. Mommy, I'm bored. Mommy, I had haggis last night. She's in Scotland, remember. Mommy, I don't want to do homework. Yeah, you know, not want to do homework. That's pretty serious. I had a three-inch leech up my nose. Just as more is demanded of the children of immigrants, children of those with a leech up the nose, they pretty much will have a fire lit under them. But you know, the second generation of leech up the nose, they always take it for granted. Me mom had a leech up her nose so I could have a better life. That kid doesn't really sound Scottish. Maybe he'll have migrated south. By the way, the entire story, which came to us from BBC Scotland, is being covered very differently on BBC Leech, Leech's Habitat. Forcefully expels it. Leech made homeless by press-seeking person. And there's a sidebar story for all the leeches, you know, up the nose, do's and don'ts, and tenant rights and eviction procedures. Now I want to give you a word. At the very least, we'll learn something. And that word is hirudinasis. Hirudinasis. What happened to Liverani is called hirudinasis, a condition in which leeches, hirudinea, attach themselves to a person's skin or the inside of the mouth or nose. Now, I looked up herodianasis, and it almost always means when a leech attaches itself to you, we know about that form of herodianasis, when it attaches itself to a person's skin. The -the up-the-nose thing is not entirely unknown, but Mark Siddall, a researcher at the American Museum of Natural History, follow him on Twitter at leechguy, yes, that's true, he has said that this is very rare indeed, and that, my friend ends our soup song of Scottish science. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is in control of the program as its producer. That said, this wouldn't be the first time that things have gone astray. Now she's gone and thrown it all away around the world or around the block. Everywhere I go, Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Joe Meyer is Slate's new managing producer of podcasts. We're lucky to have him. After all, once in your life, you find someone who will turn your world around, bring you up when you're feeling down, yet nothing can change what you mean to me. Oh, there's lots that I could say, but just hold me now because our love will light the way. I got to stop there, but I do want to say that you can subscribe in iTunes or give us a listen on Stitcher. Get our daily email at slate.com slash gist email, or we'll yo you if you sign up for that service. Download the yo app, sign up on Stitcher. We're on facebook.com slash slate email the gist at slate.com so quick story i'll tell you what's been going on with me so jimmy quits jody tells me he's getting married now this is on the heels of jimmy quitting right so i try to talk jody out of it i'm like don't tell me it's not worth fighting for i can't help it there's nothing i want more you know it's true everything that i do i do it for you oh yeah and he just looked at me and said have you ever really loved a woman but but i'm all like you can't stop this thing we started so yeah overall it cuts like a knife